Woomijika. My name is Larry Walsh and I'm an elder of the Tunnarong people and an elder of the Kulin Nations. And we at Footscray Arts Centre, we acknowledge we are on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Warrawong people and the Boomerang people. And we pay our respects to their ancestors and we also pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And through them, we also pay our respects to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities that live in the western suburbs. We also pay our respects to all elders throughout the various communities that live in the western suburbs. Welcome to FCAC Radio, a podcast series produced by Footscray Community Arts Centre, platforming artists, creatives and stories outside of the mainstream. Welcome to FCAC Radio. My name is Evie Majumda and I'm the Creative Workshops Producer at Footscray Community Arts Centre. In this episode, I chat to Nash, who is the author of a new comically illustrated book called What to Expect When You're Immigrating, published by FM Press. Nash is a Sri Lankan-born multidisciplinary designer artist based in Melbourne, where he has lived since 2012. His work is both cynical social commentary and an account of his personal experience as an immigrant, the other in any society. What to Expect When You're Immigrating is his first book, and we had a lot of fun recording this conversation in preparation for his book launch at FCAC on the 5th of June. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Nash, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Great. Um, so I'm pretty excited to talk about your book. What made you want to create this book, and did you find like the process of it helped you process... Um, being an immigrant here or the complexities of that? Yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely say so. Um, as for the concept behind the book, I was grappling with two ideas uh, initially. So one, I'm in the tail end of my process of applying for my permanent residency here, and it's been a long, arduous process with a lot of paperwork, which I've kind of <laughs> mentioned in the book. Yeah. Uh, so I was looking back at the last two years or so of that, and the other idea I was grappling with was the role that race plays in immigration. Uh, I mean, it definitely has an impact, but how big an impact and uh, how how much more difficult it might make, how much easier it might make uh, the process. So these were the two ideas I was grappling with, and I found the challenge of trying to condense both these ideas uh, into a book which was still humorous, quite uh, compelling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you came here um, to study architecture, were you an, and you're an interdisciplinary artist as well. So were you always practising art or art making while you were studying as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was one of the one of those guys who used to uh, draw at the, back, at the back of the exercise books in uh, school. Uh, unfortunately, in Sri Lanka, art isn't really encouraged in, as an as actual career choice. Um, yeah, art is always looked at as being something of a hobby. And I mean, I was very interested in mathematics and science in school as well. And I did higher maths, chemistry, physics for my, the equivalent of your VCEs in Sri Lanka. And I, a combination of art and mathematics would be architecture. And it just seemed like the logical choice as to why I would study that here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, cool. Um, so did you start thinking about the book uh, as you were studying or was it after that you...? Honestly, I, the book was done in about six months. So oh, I, I didn't really... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
if if nothing else, I work really fast when it comes to my art. Um, the idea came to me, I think, in 2018, 20, no, 2019. Okay, 2020 is just like right off. Yeah, I don't, I'm not even. Th- it didn't exist, yeah. so I'm not even thinking about it. Um, so I would say end of 2019, and I spoke to Martin, who is the publishing editor or owner, CEO of Firm Press. Um, the same month that I came up with the first 25 pages and within six months I had my 70 odd pages or double spreads that uh, that I included in the book. We actually had to cut down quite a few of them. So you dedicate the book to your partner and Grumpy. Who is Grumpy? Grumpy uh, is and was uh, my constant muse. Uh, he was oh. my pet bunny who sadly passed away um, at the end of last year. But I'm actually working on a little children's book called Grumpy Hates Moving, uh, which does touch on some similar themes about immigration, but it's about a bunny who moves into a new house and misses his friends back home and has to deal with the possum and the cockatoo and uh, the native uh, or the local wildlife in that area that he's never seen or met before. So... It'll be interesting when the book comes out and obviously that will be dedicated solely to Grumpy. My partner <laughs> can take a step back from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your book explores the issues behind immigration and also uh, grapples um, with these issues in a humorous way as well. Uh, what kind of values of Sri Lankan culture or your family's culture do you still practice or want to sustain? Um, what I would like to sustain... And what I still have, regardless of what I try to do to change them, are, I guess, two different things. Um, I prescribe to, I guess, the kind of philosophy of stoicism where I deal with emotional or, we'll say, difficult situations by trying to rationalize uh, most of what's happening and look at it uh, from a non-emotional standpoint, which, you know, is not the best way, but (laughs) that's something I've been taught, I guess, growing up in a very conservative society in Sri Lanka where it's you don't really talk about your emotions you do what you have to do to move forward from there in such a way that you might not even uh, process what what might have gone on so you only look at these things in hindsight and you're like oh that was actually a traumatic in uh, you know uh, situation or something like that um, but whether I want to keep that I'm not entirely sure just yet but that would definitely be a reason why the humor has come into this book. I mean, it's a way of processing, we'll say, a certain situation that might be difficult without actually having to talk about your feelings. Something that, you know, I found quite strange when I first came here is that people are almost encouraged to talk about their feelings all the time, mm-hmm. um, which is probably a good thing. I think it's definitely a good thing because it gives, creates, like, support circles and stuff like that. But I feel like a fish out of water whenever I catch up with friends who were born and raised here or and my partner meets up with her friends where they do talk about uh, what they might be going through in that that week and stuff like that. For me, it was, it's like, I don't really feel like sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, yeah, because there is a tile, um, one of the pages in the book that talks about uh, encouraging you to speak about your feelings and yeah. that it's uh, something that we practice here. Yeah. Um, why do you, you mention that uh, the attitude that you're maybe trying to sustain um, being rational about things is something that's popular in Sri Lanka? Why do you think that is as opposed to a different type of processing here? Because I think it's a big part of Sri Lankan society and I think most, uh, most Southeast Asian 
even African and South American cultures is about representing your family and some something beyond just yourself when you're out in the world. Um, as a result of which, if you come, if you go into a social gathering and talk about how difficult you're finding your home life to be or your school life to be, that brings a shadow upon, we'll say, your family or for not helping you through. And it, it's just not something that's, I guess, accepted. I mean, over the years, I think in the last decade or so, mental health has become a thing that people actually focus on in Sri Lanka. Because when I was growing up, if you said you're depressed, people would just laugh at you. Uh, and to this date, I've, I don't think I've ever said that I've been depressed, even though, you know, in hindsight, I probably was at some point. I'd never really thought about it in that way. Uh, it was, and I feel like the the ability to speak about emotions in that way is a bit of a luxury, uh, a luxury that's not afforded to most people, especially not, you know, in new immigrants or international students who might have to work three, four jobs to be able to pay their tuition fees. Because if they call in sick or take a self, self-care self day, they might lose their job, you know. So it's uh, the luxury of her being able to speak about uh, the mental health and stuff is not something that's still readily available to everyone. I guess you sort of use humour sometimes just to deflect that and... Um... Yeah, I mean, it, it's a way of sharing what you're going through without necessarily talking about the emotions themselves. Did you find that hard? Like when, I guess, you went to high school here, which uh, obviously I have no experience about, but when your friends would be a lot more open and they would talk about their feelings and talk about how they actually have a relationship with their parents, like they're almost friends, which I've found quite alien to me because parents were, you know, parents. <laughs> yeah. You, you didn't really talk to them about anything beyond, you know, how your schoolwork is going or whether your health is okay, but besides that, you don't really treat them on, not as an equal, but, you know, in anything more than an elder elder yeah. person. Yeah, as an authority. Yeah, definitely. I think that was tricky always um, trying to express, express myself and I guess um, I would talk about my feelings to my friends and stuff all the time, but um, at home it was a bit harder to have that conversation and I think a lot of the time, as you mentioned, um, we don't have the language for it or they, you know, our parents would have grown up without without speaking about their feelings to their parents. Um, so, yeah, do you think it's a challenge that we need to kind of work through or...? Yeah, for sure. I mean, being being able to understand one's emotions comes with a certain level of self-reflection. Um, whether you're, you're able to communicate that with someone... Uh, besides just yourself in, you know, the deep recesses of your mind is a different matter. But being able to understand your emotions is definitely something that I think is important. Um, it, it, it It's difficult because I've got a partner now and she's obviously grew up in a very different environment to me. So I've learned to open up a little bit more, at least to her, as a way of not not just for sharing and not just for the support of it, but just so that she understands that I'm not holding back because I feel like there is uh, a tendency especially if you're a man in a Southeast Asian country that you know people make fun of you for being overly emotional there is you know certain stereotypes of being masculine yeah um, there's so there- a, yeah there's a tile in your book um, 
saying cultural studies is an essential part of interracial relationships, um, yeah. which I think is really smart. And do you want to describe what the image is like? Well, uh, it shows a lovely couple here, uh, two ladies from different backgrounds, um, reading a book's title, Your Partner's Culture. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also a cat in the image, which I guess just adds to the composition, which, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, I think I, I do think it's a very it's a very important thing because it takes a while to build up friendships um, between we'll say cult, people of different cultural backgrounds and to get into a intimate relationship of whatever magnitude it take it takes that even a step further because you can still I can have disagreements with my friends who are from different backgrounds and we can look at it very logically. Um, but sometimes logic is not the best way to deal with things in relationships. Sometimes you need to be aware that people deal with problems differently. Uh, and, I, you know, as I've said before, like I try to be quite rational about things, but I've started to realize that sometimes it's when someone expresses a problem to me, it's not about giving them advice or a solution, but just to, hearing, just to hear them out and be like, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry you're going through that. Um, without just being the first thing you jump to. Because, I mean, I, I, it's still a bad habit that I do, which is the first thing I jump to is like, okay, here's how you get over this problem. <laughs> Whereas sometimes people just want to vent. They probably know what they need to do as well. Yeah, so. and it's just opening up that dialogue for sure. And do you think um, gender roles have a big part to play in that in terms of South Asian families as well? And maybe a male being expected to be more... I guess in my family it was, um, I guess the men were expected to sort of hold it together and, you know, push the family forward and uh, do all of that kind of masculine traits, um, whereas, yeah. yeah, for girls, I guess it's binding in each way. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely a part of who I am. Like uh, it, I would be lying if I say that I've changed completely that these, these things, the masculine stereotypes and the roles that they play in like a traditional family don't play a role in who I am. But understanding where those traits are destructive and where they aren't uh, is important because writing certain things off completely I don't think is the best idea because certain things have existed for a reason. You can question them, analyze them and see this is where this is not working, this is how you need to change because, you know, the world around you is different. But just writing things off and trying to reinvent yourself completely with and lose that cultural foundation that has made you who you are until that point, I think could be quite detrimental towards someone's growth. And yeah, it, it becomes quite, and it's, a, it's part of this culture that I quite dislike, which is like the virtue signaling culture where someone might pretend to be a certain certain way without being honest to even themselves sometimes, but just as a way of, you know, signaling to the people around them that they're either an uh, ally or I have the right way of thinking or I have the right words to speak speak about uh, what I feel. Um, so I think it's best to be true to yourself and un understand where I guess you are currently and see what you can do to improve rather than just be like, I'm not this anymore. Yesterday <laughs> yeah. I was a completely different person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I came here in 2012 and I think that Australia was going through the kind of refugee crisis at that point and there were like billboards in Fed Square that said, you know, let them in. It was a racially charged environment and you kind of had this feeling like people didn't really want you to be here. It was in the media, uh, 
almost every other immigrant that I met who was a person of color would say something like, oh, yeah, I've experienced, had this experience, I've had the, the other experience. And you end up putting your walls up because you're worried about being stereotyped to some extent. But what I realized that was that, sure, word of mouth and, you know, lived experience could differ from person to person. Um, but the reasons for me having my walls up, the these incidents of racism or stereotype, stereotyping were so few and far between that it didn't really justify me being that closed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that whole saying, if they look like me, they must be on my side, was kind of the mentality that I had. Um, and I feel like I've hindered a lot of relationships that I could that could have been healthy and fruitful just because I was worried, you know, I was looking out, I use the phrase, I was looking out for a slight or a misplaced word that someone might say or do that could, you know, be like, oh, they are, that's how they really think about me and not giving people the opportunity to actually, you know, have a conversation, be open about it. Obviously, changing the policies is something that we can work towards as with collective action and such. But what you can control is how you react to situations on an individual level. The things that do make you feel uncomfortable, I think there needs to be a focus on, um, what's the word for it, uh, intent to some extent. Because uh, someone might, for example, the words, uh, there's a slide in the book where um, there's a, two people having a conversation, one person says colored person, and then there's this other lady in the book that uh, corrects them and says, no, it's person of color. And that's an experience that I've had uh, when I was uh, working at one of the cafes in Carlton and I was dealing with, I think, maybe, I'm not sure what she might have been studying, but it was an interaction I've had where I was corrected for saying colored person, but I was talking about the rights of colored people. Like it, yeah. um, So it, intent does play a role because when you correct someone like that, especially if you don't have the confidence enough to express your opinions, and English isn't your first language. You, When someone corrects you like that, you're going to shut down. And that stops the conversation there. And I don't think there's anything beneficial that either party would gain from it besides one party feel like, oh, I'm morally better than you because I corrected you in this scenario. And I'm interested to know who is your audience, do you think, for the book? I think everyone has something to gain from this book because I do try to speak from not just the perspective of the immigrant moving into the society, but from the society, from the society's point of view as well. Because mm-hmm. some of the insight into that comes from my partner, comes from my other workmates who might be locals and how they might feel if uh, the roles were reversed or how they're feeling in this situation itself. Uh, I think a young, I think anyone over the age of like 15, 16 should have much to learn from this. I even touch on certain things like um, the relation between first and second, like uh, first and second generation immigrants. I feel like that's a big part of uh, some of the issues that are in immigrant communities. The parents and children don't really see eye to eye. Um, so my partner works in schools and she learns, with, uh, she deals with a lot of kids from immigrant backgrounds and she speaks about how uh, some of the philosophies that are taught in school, for example, they have something called the Safe Schools Program, which teaches people, teaches children about uh, homosexuality and LGBTQI rights and stuff, which I think is a very good thing. 
but one of the schools she worked at had a large Muslim community, um, large uh, immigrant Muslim community. And on the safe schools day, when they had these, most of the students didn't come to school. And I mean, I think that's a big issue because, for example, and no one really talks about how that is detrimental towards whatever cause that they're working towards. Because if there was a Christian person who came into their workplace and said, you know what, I disagree with homosexuality because my religion is against it, um, they would be treated, you know, there'd be action taken upon them quite severely. Um, but there is a tendency if it was a person who might look like me, comes from an Islamic background, express the exact same views, the way the people around them react to it is very differently. And I feel like that conversation is an important conversation that needs to be not just that specific, but those conversations, those difficult conversations that might not have a right or wrong answer, but at least a discussion of it allows both sides to see where the other person is coming from. Because right now being called a race is probably the worst thing people someone could be <laughs> yeah. called. Yeah, You'd exactly. Cancelled off social media. And, yeah, you know. so you wanna, yeah, and it's weird that um, funny that that kind of I guess cancel culture can sometimes eliminate conversation or make people too scared to really explore further. It it, it does censor I guess points of view, and I, there are definitely points of view that do need not have a place in public discussion for sure. Uh, but there needs to be an analysis of what that point of view is and why that point of view might have come to being, unless it's a completely bigoted point of view. Um, there needs to be an analysis of it because if you don't look at it, you're just further entrenching the person who might have that view or the people who might think about them or might support their cause in their views because you're taking them out of the public discussion, which I don't think is helpful. Uh, obviously, some people might disagree with me on that, but uh, I think having things out in the open leaves room for whatever concept to be criticized in the public forum, and it might dissuade people or discourage people from prescribing to that concept because they see the opposing point of view. Yeah. So would you mind speaking a little bit about your experience as a South Asian artist specifically? Yeah, Um well, like I said before, art wasn't really encouraged back home in Sri Lanka. The way I, the way I see people, their kids being encouraged to do their art here, I feel like that played a big role in how hard I work uh, towards pushing my craft here, because it's something I had to fight really hard to maintain and to go through without really studying it ever. Um, so as a result of which, here when I got here, I realized that I guess there's a difference in work ethic. There's also I don't, when people talk about representation, I don't really see a lot of uh, South Asian artists that speak from the perspective of being a South Asian artist. Maybe I haven't come across them, which, you know, in that case, I'm sorry to <laughs> the people who uh, are doing a really good job. I haven't really seen too many of them uh, or come across it too many of them. And I feel like it's a lot to do with their community or their family not encouraging them or looking at it as a viable career path, whereas, you, you know, the saying that people say, uh, the that parents say, you can be, you can grow up to be anything you want. Uh, in most South Asian communities, that's very, that's limited to being like a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, accountant, or something along those lines. Um, so when 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 I did start doing a lot more work uh, in the arts community here. 
I started realizing that a lot of the South Asian artists that do that I did see spoke came from uh, a place of like talking, advocating for, we'll say, uh, LGBTQI rights. Uh, something that would be looked at as being unacceptable in their traditional community. So they had that point of view that they want to talk about, uh, which I think is a very good thing for sure. Uh, but I would love to see more Southeast, South Asian or Southeast Asian artists, you know, doing a lot more public art, getting involved in the arts here and, you know, really sharing their point of view. Because I've noticed a lot of South Asians adopting African-American culture as their own um, and letting go of, whatever culture they might have retained through their parents or because before they from the country they moved here from uh and i feel like that's to some extent a detriment to uh south asian art being pushed in the spotlight and why do you think um you've noticed south asian artists or just people generally sort of adopting that hip-hop culture or um, african-american um, it could definitely be because of the music they listen to. Because, I mean, I listen to hip-hop as well and I do like going to a hip-hop night, uh, having a boogie from time to time as well. Um, and I guess it's what they see on social media and I think social media is one of those things that really has, that has really influenced the way people look and what they uh, prioritise in their life. Um as a result of which not seeing the art or not seeing the culture being celebrated in a public space, not just by, for example, the Footscray Community Arts Centre having an Indian or Sri Lankan night is, a, I guess, it's a specific thing where people look at it, oh, we can go celebrate it, we can, but that's just limited to that event, whereas we'll say celebration of African-American culture is everywhere all yeah. the time and it's yeah and it, yeah. it it's more of a I, it becomes almost like a lifestyle and becomes it's part of the fa clothes they wear it's part of the music they listen to which you know props to uh the culture for having such a big influence it's a amazing thing and there's some amazing music like i love my jazz and blues it's it's an amazing uh thing to have that impact but i would love to see a lot more south asian artists pushing, uh, whether it be, like I'm trying to incorporate a lot of the Sinhalese typography into my own personal artwork and talking about the experiences a little bit more and exploring, I guess, South Asian identity. I hate to use, put it in that phrase, but uh, exploring that and being proud of it. Okay, so now to explore your book a little bit further, um, let's play a game where I read out the caption on one side of the page and then you read out, uh, I guess you describe what the image is and um, maybe even a little bit of a story behind it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, so I'm on a page now which says, your name is not going to fit in the boxes. Look forward to a nickname. Uh, well, this, the background for this piece comes from me filling out all these forms for immigration uh, had a lot of forms to fill and I'm Sri Lankan and if most people know, have met any Sri Lankan before, they would know that we are proud owners of very long names. So my full name is Tammika Avinash Niroda Virasekara, which is a bit of a mouthful and having to fill out, we'll say 10 or 20 forms and having to fill out my full name every single time <laughs> does take a toll. Uh, and I was given a nickname on my first day of uni 
which was uh, which is Nash, which is the name I uh, my artist name that I go by. Uh, and it's something that you know most people experience when they get here that they're even Darren is Daza here. So yeah, I mean, I take it as being accepted into society, getting a nickname. Okay, now I'm on a page that says not everyone is going to be happy to see you. And then the next page says some may like you a bit too much. So would you want to describe the drawings that are on each side? Yeah, I mean, the first one, uh, the first page is obviously interaction that uh, most people who might be working in the city might have experienced at some point by a drunken stranger, Um, especially maybe... When I first got here, I experienced a lot more, whereas now it seems to have died down a lot more and it has moved more towards the second half of it where people seem to be um, overly happy to show that they appreciate the fact that you're not from Australia. Um, it, 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 I, I wouldn't go far as to call it like a fetishization, but it would be more of like an over-celebration or they become like your unofficial cheerleader almost. They're like, oh, listen to this person, he he or she, or they might have uh, more interesting insight compared to the rest of us because they might come from a different country. And you know what, in certain situations, if you're talking about spicy food, sure, I have a lot more insight into what spice actually means. But listening to someone and thinking their opinion is worth more just because they might be considered quote-unquote exotic is a bit of a shame, isn't it? Now the page says, yes, home is far away, but so are the pressures that come with it. It shows a lady walking down and she's looking back at the shadows of two uh, people which look could be her parents, judging by the noses there. Um, it shows the shadows, so I guess the shadows of overbearing parents or overbearing culture hanging over them. Uh, that's kind of what the image describes. But I guess that that comes from a place, for me personally, it came from a place of my parents wanting me to study architecture and then do a master of architecture and then continue with architecture. Um, and it's one of the other pages in the book is to do with affa- uh, achievement-based affection. That's a big part of, uh, I guess, South Asian and Asian communities where you get parents really pushing their children to do well and affection is showed to some extent um, by how well they perform and there's a comparison between children and stuff yeah. like that. Um, that to me was the shadow that was uh, kind of over me when I came here and I felt like it was a bit more lifted and it seemed a bit further away. Um, but, I mean, for some of the other people I've spoken to, it could be the shadow of parents wanting them to get married um, which does play a role in South Asian communities uh, as well. Um, yeah, so it, it really depends on what you might be leaving behind at home because a lot of people, when they come here, they move here for a reason, uh, whether it be they're running to something or running away from something, there's always something they're leaving behind. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to put it as well. Um, and did you find that you had more artistic freedom here because you had a bit more room to explore it, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just knowing that I could be working towards something was a big part of, uh, I guess, my growth as an artist. Because when when you're constantly told that there's no point in you creating, you're literally creating as an act of defiance. 
uh, when you come when I came here and I realized there were opportunities for artists to actually ex- explore my craft and explore opportunities like you know writing a book for example um, I really felt like the effort and defiance that I might have shown in the past was for something mm, absolutely and I find myself that it's a kind of interesting combination that you kind of develop all those skills that you will need as an artist eventually like work ethic and uh, being really sure of yourself and I guess pushing for what you want um, from having a conservative background, uh, conservative ethnic background and then you kind of use those skills but have a bit more freedom in, uh, you know, quote-unquote just Western culture here. Yeah, I think those skills are are very much transferable is another word Um, because dealing with hardships, dealing with uh, rejection, uh, being able to be self-motivated and put value in your work and trust yourself to create something that you might like is because if what do children do when they create something they go to their parents and be show them like hey look at this look at what I've done and you if the parents might not show the same kind of interest in the work that you you might have put into creating it you kind of need to find it within yourself to keep pushing yourself and I feel like that's played a big role in my own practice here. There's a caption now that says, not everyone will understand what you've been through to be where you are now. Okay, uh, well, the image shows two people, one of them of fairer complexion who is just getting sorry, getting out of an elevator and another person who is sweating and has come up the stairs and is looking angrily at the person who just came out of the elevator. So obviously they've come to the same flow, but they've... Uh, taken two different paths to getting there. Um, so I guess the backstory for this is when I first got here, I, ha- I had a tendency of being angry with people for not experiencing the things that I might have growing up and not having to work as hard, not having to work as many jobs to just be at the same level as, you know, going to uni uh, and studying the same course. So there was, and that leads to a certain level of bitterness. I mean, I guess that's what causes bitterness, isn't it? Uh, Looking at someone being mad at them for having it better. Um, So coming to terms with the fact that everyone's story is different and that not everyone's going to experience everything exactly the same way as you have. Some might have it better, some might have it worse. But what matters is how you react and how you accept your situation in the moment, I think is what the point I was trying to make there and let go of any sort of bitterness you might have towards someone else or a society or a racial group for that matter mm-hmm. uh, for having life a little bit better. It allows you to become your own person and not be, again, defined by the kind of animosity you might have towards something. So the whole book is also peppered with um, some humorous images. I really like how I think it's on the second last page um, you have... Pigeons still walk funny over here. Yeah. Yeah, so is that just to sort of what was the intention behind having some of the funnier pages in between? Okay, well, to describe that page, it has a pigeon uh, walking funny. Uh, (laughs) I guess the caption kind of gives it away there. Um, There were two things, obviously. The that specific page was about you we spoke about how who who you thought uh, the audience for the book should be. And I wanted to make the book accessible and uh, not just accessible. I want people to relate to the book, 
any person relate to the book. So if even if you couldn't relate to any of the pages before that, we could still agree on the fact that pigeons walk funny. Yeah, definitely. So that was kind of the point of that page. But as for the humor, I think humor plays a big role in breaking the ice and bringing down certain walls. Um, my relationship with my uh, friend Edmund is built on a kind of self-critical sense of humor that we both share, where they'd be criticizing. We do criticize each other, but it's from a point of view of both of us knowing that at the end of the day, you know, we don't disagree. We, we enjoy each other's company and value each other as people. Yeah. Uh, and humor is the perfect way to break the ice because a society that's overly concerned with saying the right things and acting the right way is never going to become an actual multicultural society. It'll just be people joined together by geographic geographical location rather than through deeper connections of being people living together. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really true and um, it's a really quick and effective way of sort of relaxing, I guess, and yeah, um, exactly. not taking yourself too seriously. Like Sometimes even... the most inappropriate things are the best, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, I yes. should advocate for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been really a great pleasure to talk to you today, so thank you so much for coming down. And um, where can we find more of your work or buy the book as well? Um, so I think the book is available in most bookstores around. If not, just Google what to expect when you're immigrating by Nash. I'm sure something should pop up. If you want to follow any of my other work and I'll probably have announcements of, uh, I guess, the children's books I've been working on and stuff like that on my Instagram, which is a.v.nash. Thank you for joining me in conversation with Nash. You can find out more about his book launch on the 5th of June at FCAC by visiting our website, www.footscrayarts.com or follow us on any social media platform with the handle at Footscray Arts. You can also find links to Nash's books as well as his other work in the description to this episode. A very special thank you to Jessica Ankema and Neil Kabatikin for helping me craft this episode. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening in to FCAC Radio, produced by Footscray Community Arts Centre and featuring artists from our upcoming program of events. FCAC is a not-for-profit, independently-run community arts organisation that supports over 550 creatives annually. You can support FCAC by donating to the centre, hiring our venue, coming to our events, or sharing our content online. Follow at Footscray Arts on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, or visit footscrayarts.com to explore and discover more. We appreciate your support and generosity.